Welcome to Second Win, the podcast where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am. And that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Second wind. I have a gentleman that I have known for years, kind of on the periffs and from the biking world, cycling world, two wheels, cycling. And as time has gone on, I've been seeing all these things that Chris Doan is doing. And I'm just like, wow, how is he doing this? How is he involved in all these things? And smiling while he's doing it and making great connections. And I'm wondering if there's got to be a story there. And whenever I wonder that, there always is. And then I'm meant to talk to the person. And Chris has a really cool second wind kind of story of why he's chosen to go the path he has. And there's a lot to learn in his own path, on his own journey. And I love some of the correlations he makes. And I think it's just going to be a great conversation for Second Wind. So welcome, Chris Doan, to Second Wind, the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. And I just look at you as like the cycling guru, guy, you just do it all. But why don't you first tell us a little bit about you and what you do? A little introduction. Absolutely. So I currently own my own business. It's something I actually chose to pursue about 18 years ago. And at the same time, that gave me a opportunity to sort of disconnect from a corporate commute and, a, and corporate life and then and to use that autonomy to then begin focusing on some of the things that were very important to me on a local and a community level. So I looked for opportunities in my community to get involved and to try to find some common ground. You know, we have so many different people going in so many different ways. And for me, it was, how do I get engaged? How do perhaps I'd serve on some nonprofit causes, that sort of thing for a while. And then it kind of got to a point where I found several different purposes or a common purpose for me to actually pursue and to more or less go all in and was able to not only participate in nonprofits, but to start one and and continue to get involved in some other ones too. But I live in Nuna, Georgia. I've been married for a little over 20 years to my wife. I have four kids. Two of them are out of the house, one in Virginia, one in Chicago, and then two of them are preparing to graduate high school. So there's a lot of things that are happening that hopefully are going to free me up and free my energy up to pursue other things for sure too. I'm uh, in a similar position as many of us when we're, we get around the age of 40 to 50 and we're kind of revisiting where we are not only in our careers, but where we are in our lives. And we're kind of addressing the upcoming thing of having an empty nest and those things. And, you know, what am I going to do with this time that I have? How am I going to take the most advantage of it and really try to create some impact 
or have some impact with what I have been blessed with, or perhaps the skills, the talents, the relationships, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. How do I actually do something for good and make some local impact with what the cards I was dealt when I was, you know, was born? So that's kind of where I'm at. And yeah, it has been a second wind is definitely a good example of sort of where I have been. That that second wind started right around the age of 40. So I've been in it for about 15 or 16 years at this point. And I am blown away at the amount of momentum that I am involved with. And it is so personally satisfying and gratifying to be involved in some things that have gone way beyond me now. And I don't like a lot of attention for those things. I'm still, I I kind of want to be behind the scenes getting these things done. But When people come up to me, young and old, diverse community, they come up to me not knowing I'm involved in something that perhaps they're enjoying or perhaps something they're benefiting from. When they come up to me and they say, man, I really like this. I really enjoy this. Or my life is so much better because of this. I'm kind of quietly just saying to myself, man, that is, I'm so excited about that. I don't want I don't even want them to know that maybe I had some little ounce of influence over right. that, but I am so thrilled to get so much peace and personal satisfaction out of hearing I have reached somebody. And that's where I am at today. Yes. We were just talking before we got on the air that you don't want to really toot your own horn or say all the things you're involved in. And guess what? In your introduction, you did not. <laughs> so we won't get to that. I will drag it out of you, Chris. However, let's go down the rabbit hole of who you are. And you you said to me you grew up always with that giving back kind of idea in your head. But then life took over. Share that a little with us. And then what happened when you're getting into your 40s and then the big shift that happened? I always think about this and I think about it as being really young. I'm talking about a toddler, three or four years old. And this is going to hopefully be interesting after I, I work through this. But I always remember uh, sitting in church as a three or four year old and basically, uh, you know, the churches in the South, they would hand out the bulletins at the beginning of the service. I don't know if I ever paid attention to what was being said at a sermon, but I always remember taking a pencil and just drawing all over that. That probably led to ending up having a, a career in graphic design and getting a bachelor of fine arts degree and that sort of thing. And I think so many children, youth, particularly if they have lean lean toward artistic things, sometimes they always dream about one day reaching someone or reaching an audience or reaching a certain level of visibility with their craft or their art. And for me, it was like a kid playing Little League. They want to become a professional baseball player. I had these lofty goals of actually perhaps becoming an artist that had some sort of notoriety or whatever. But I say that because at the end of the day, I don't think it was so much that. I think it was a internal thing for me at an early age of saying, you know, I really want to actually just make some sort of impact or reach some sort of a community. That's a lot to be thinking for a three-year-old. But as I grew older, I always thought, hey, I would love to actually just make some sort of impact at some point later in life. Yeah. Something that's bigger than just me. Absolutely. Not only did I desire that, I felt like I had an internal thing going on that encouraged me or basically said, I hate the word destiny, but you are lined up to do that if you have the will and the energy to pursue it. 
so come full circle, you know, you grow up, you go through high school, you go through college, you eventually get married, you have kids, you get a corporate job, you get into that whole cycle where you become part of more or less sort of a machine, which is, is very practical. We all, many of us actually all go through that. And absolutely, you know, four kids cost a little bit of money, but I feel like some of us still remember or feel or, or recall what, how we felt as a, a kid or a youth and feeling that yearning to actually do something somehow, some way that perhaps we would touch someone some way. As I approached the age of 40 and was involved in the machine and all the other stuff that go with having a family and kids, I still had an internal tug of war going on that was saying, hey, you said you want to do this. You've been saying you wanted to do this your entire life. You've been wanting to get more involved and somehow have a positive impact on folks. And for me, as I approached the milestone age, which seems young now, but as I approached the milestone age of 40. I'm like, oh, you're just a baby. You're 40. <laughs> right. You know, when we're in our 20s, we're like 40 is a long way away. 50. Holy smokes. You know. Yeah. But it, my milestone age was about 40. And I was like, okay, you know, it's time to put up or shut up. I've been talking about this. I've been talking about this desire. Really? And I didn't know what the I didn't know what the purpose or the impact, or I did not know what any of those things were at that point. I just said, well, you know, it's time to start adjusting my lifestyle, perhaps adjusting things. So I was in more of a, a spot. I had more autonomy to pursue some of those other things. Chris, you know, we were talking, I think that you and I both around the same time, I think I was around 40 and I went on a bike ride. We just moved to the South and I saw dogs tied up, chained up. And I was like, what is that? And did some research. And that's kind of when it hit me. Well, I say I love animals and I want to help animals. When is when? Right. You had that. And then I started Pedal for Pets and the, these ridiculous bike rides with all these people and all these things on the 501c3, you were the same way, right? Like when is when? And a lot of people I would think listening to Second Wind are could be in that juxtaposition where they're saying, well, when is when, but how do I know when and how? So what did that look like for you? Well, commuting back and forth between Newton, Georgia and Brookhaven in Atlanta every day and spending an hour, half one way each day provides you a lot of time to reflect. <laughs> so when you spend... <laughs> three hours a day just commuting. And then I'm a person that will actually say, okay, what's three hours a day times 200 work days a year? How much time is that? Well, how much time was that? Well, that's, yeah. I mean, it would be 600 hours a year or spent. 600 hours. So that's basically a, what is a, a week is about 150, 160 hours. So that's about four weeks a year. I was spending right, going back and forth. My math may be wrong, but it's, you get the idea. No, but that's the point. You know, you get the Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Right? So not only is it time to reflect and fuss at the driver in front of you, but it's also uh, <laughs> it's also time to say, hey, is this, do I want to do this long term? And again, you've got this other thing going on on the other side that's challenging you. If it's starting a business or starting a nonprofit or getting involved behind a cause, I had an internal thing in me that was challenging me to say, hey, it's sort of like running a marathon. Or as you know, with cycling, mm. it's sort of like riding that first century ride. I've been talking about it for years and I keep talking about it and I keep internally challenging myself sort of kind of, but you got to sign up. It's never going to happen until you take that leap 
And for some folks, it is fear. It's like, oh no, I don't know if I can ride a hundred miles. What happens if I get stranded? We'll come up with a million excuses, practical, real excuses, and excuses that are not legit excuses. We'll come up with a million examples why I can't take the next step. And for me, it wasn't so much excuses. Again, it was back to that pattern that that it's like a holding pattern I had I had ended up in that is what we holding yeah, pattern where we kind of suspend things while we're in that holding pattern. We say, well, I'm too busy. I got to commute every day. I got to feed the kid, take the kids to Little League, all the things that come with that. So for me, again, 40 was the age where I finally said, well, you know what? It's time to start leaping. It's time to start breaking away from a corporate career. There was a leap of faith that goes with that because that's very comfortable. You feel very stable in that, but it's also you got to be willing to take some risk, have some confidence, and actually not only, as you know, start a business, but some start a brand new nonprofit from scratch is actually a little bit of a leap. I hope somebody wants to donate a dollar to me. I hope that people support this, you know, but you got to take that leap and be committed to it, just like that marathon or that 100-mile century ride and take a chance. And that's where I was, and I took that chance and progressively as we do with riding a bike or running a race or whatever, you know, after two or three or four or five years of that activity, you say, oh, that's century. That's a hard work for three or four hours. That's not that hard a thing. I don't know why I was so intimidated. Right. Well, after you do it, you go, oh. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> oh. So we all face those things. Okay. It's not just with, we all face those type, those little unknowns in our lives. And I think that's the biggest thing that holds many of us back from that second wind is, is we are comfortable, but we're also, we're uncomfortable, but maybe we're not completely satisfied with where we are because we haven't identified something to really get fired up about, a purpose, a something to really get us going from a passion and an enthusiasm point of view. And I found it. Well said. And part of your leap was getting rid of that comfortable right. check, right, for your work and starting your own company, a Crescent. It's Crescent Marketing, yes. It's a marketing advertising agency in Southwest Atlanta, so. Yeah. So you took a leap of faith and said, okay, I'm going to start my own company, which the idea behind that was then I would eventually have time and autonomy to fulfill this passion of doing something greater than myself. Absolutely. I automatically, I gained three hours a day. I wasn't spending in the club. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It also frees you up too. you know, as a business owner, it frees you up to have a little more flexibility than the, the nine to five, eight to four lunch pail type schedule that you expect from a big company. So it, it made it easier, honestly, for a certain amount of time with the kids still in elementary and middle school, it made it easier to manage a home and get the kids from point A to point B too. But that was obviously going to pass as they grew older and could drive themselves. So, but yeah, it takes a certain amount of confidence to actually make that leap. But I always tell folks, they ask, they will ask me, are you glad you did it? And yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it freed that autonomy frees us up or freed me up to pursue things that were more in line with what was important to me and still makes and figure out a way to make some money on the side too. I mean, make some money while you're doing it to support your family. But you also told me that 
One of the things that changed greatly for you when you were able to get rid of that three-hour commute and start your own business was to take all of the stuff that you had put on the shelf, your health, your wellness, things that you enjoyed doing, you put them all on the shelf like we all do. I'll get to that. I don't have time right now. I'll get to that next month, next year, whatever. I'll have time when I'm older, right? And you said you wanted to get your health back. That had been put on the shelf as well. So is that why you decided to start looking into the world of cycling? Because to the average person, they would think that you just kind of fell in that, but you had grown up kind of on dirt bikes and doing stuff like that. Right? Absolutely. So I grew up in West Spalding County, about halfway between Griffin and Sonora. And we grew up on a small farm out in West Coweta as when I was in elementary school. And yeah, it was, I know, you know, and I know this, we all enjoy the benefits of the country and being out and not only being out of the congestion of traffic and so much of that, but there's certain, there's just certain benefits that come with, with living out you know, on a small farm or a small tract of land out there. And, and one of them is basically the outdoors, outdoor recreation. And for me, this is something my father encouraged because I had a bicycle, an old bicycle when we lived out there, but also he seemed to have an interest in every couple of years supplying me with a, a dirt bike or a go-kart or a mini bike, or, you know, we had tractors and stuff like that. And so I was all into that. So there was always an interest in that. Now, for me, you know, and I tinkered around with bicycles just because I had an interest in the the mechanical part of it. Now, albeit a bicycle's not that some bicycles are pretty complicated these days, but at that point it was a single speed sort of BMX bike that we all grew up with in the 70s and the 80s. I was very interested. And then once I actually got into college in the mid 80s, mountain biking was actually coming of age. Before that, if you mountain biking, you, you just used the old beach cruiser and you tried to use a single speed beach cruiser to get up a trail and down a trail. But I started, my interest began to kind of grow in mountain biking in the mid to late 80s in college when it was starting to become a, a discipline in itself. And uh, I went to the University of Georgia and Athens was, you know, Athens was a, is a pretty big cycling town. And if it's a new discipline of cycling or something that's contemporary in cycling, well, Athens and perhaps other college communities are going to be more on the front edge of that small town that doesn't even have a bike shop. Well, it's going to take a while for mountain bikes to get to that town. So I bought my first mountain bike in the mid, like 1986, 1987, which was pretty early on. And then, of course, absolutely. And then first and spent some real money on a mountain bike when I graduated college and got my first job out of college. So, but what happened is I loved riding that mountain bike and I loved riding on trails and I loved competing in events. I competed in a couple of events like in the early nineties and Macon and one and a couple others, which were some of the earliest mountain bike races and had some success with that. About two or three years later, I get married and I, I start to have kids. And we all run into this, and this is just a, a part of life. I still had my bike. I still got on it. I still tried to stay active with mountain biking and that sort of thing. And that lifestyle actually kind of became less of a priority as I was, my family was growing, looking at a career and trying to basically take care of my family and that sort of thing. And I, I may be different. I have run into a lot of gentlemen my age that they uh, go into the same cycle where 
they'll spend the next 10 or 15 years making everybody else a priority, taking care of them however they can, and things get out of balance. One of the things that actually gets out of balance is by making their family a priority. They're eating with their family every night. A lot of times kids want to eat hot dogs every night. They want to eat junk all the time. So that, that's the first thing that gets out of balance. If you had any type of discipline or diet before you started having kids, you start eating the same thing your kids eat. And the second thing was, is that for me, and I, I run into a lot of men, 40 to 50, where, you know, exercise for them actually becomes less of a priority. They're, they're taking the kids everywhere. They're doing, they're going to work every day. So I went for about, I guess about 10 years where I was working, you know, working and my family was growing and that sort of thing. But I went for about 10 years where I got out of balance. And for me, yeah. I was like, I love my mountain bike. I still have that mountain bike today that I actually bought in 1990. It was a Trek, awesome mountain bike. Oh, yeah. The Trek was like the only brand that was making them. Yeah, I spent now. And Diamond, 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 diamond back. something. Yeah, Diamond Now, people, too. you know, the cycling community, they wouldn't even blush at something these days. Blush at, the, they don't even blush at a, a, an expensive bike these days, but. In 1990, I spent like $650 on this mountain bike. And I take that over to my my parents' house and I'm talking to my dad about it and talking about all the bells and whistles. And he's like, he th thought I had gone out of my mind for spending $650. <laughs> you couldn't spend yeah. much more on a bicycle yeah. or at least a mountain bike in 1990. So it was actually, a, I was putting my passion behind my purchase for sure. I still have that bike in yeah. my, my bike garage now and I, it's hanging on the wall and it's, you know, it's sort of a, a choice I made and basically what started it, started it all. And then full circle, come back to around the age of 40, I started saying, you know what? I don't feel well. I'm overweight because of the lifestyle I'd been in. I love that. I need to get back to that for a lot of different reasons. One was the health mm -hmm. benefits getting on a bike and getting a little bit of activity every day. The second one was, and I feel probably as strong about the health benefits. I feel as strong about the other benefit as anything is the wellness benefits. And what I have found today, and again, I, I talk with it, not only men, but women in the 40 to 50, 40 to 55 age range, a lot of them will actually attest to the mental health benefits of cycling as much as they will the health benefits to it. Yeah, they need to get exercise, but on a farm or in the woods, on a trail, if you can get out there either, either, in a, either on a hike or on a run or on a bicycle, a mountain bike, actually hitting that trail where you're out there, you're alone, you are separating yourself from the anxieties and all the hassle of the day. And your focus has to be on that trail. It has to be on the rocks and the pebbles and the trees and everything. So focus is taken yep. away from all the crap all the anxiety that is caused during the week, that becomes an escape for so many adults. And I'm finding in my my particular generation, my demo, that's an escape. They use that. Uh, I told you earlier, there are local leaders in our community, both in Fayette and Coweta County. If I named a list off, you'd say, oh, wow, I didn't know they were, I didn't realize they rode a mountain bike. I didn't ri realize that they rode a bike. I could list you probably 10 or 15 local leaders, big time leaders in our community 
that use uh, mountain biking and or cycling as a way to escape from the responsibilities of their job and the anxieties of their career and whatever other things. They, they use it as a way to help with their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you decide, I'm going to start making cycling a priority again. How does that, and now you're starting your own business, how does that translate into you starting your own nonprofit? So for me, I had my personal story of actually coming back to a 10 plus year layoff of cycling. And it could have been, I spoke earlier about enjoying art, enjoyed creating art. I could have navigated towards some sort of there's, there's so many nonprofit causes or causes that actually use art and art as a therapeutic type thing. I mean, it could have been that. It could have been something mm-hmm. else. It could have been, you know, uh, there's. The farming, gardening, that's supposed to do mentally the same kind of thing as planting and growing and paying attention to what absolutely. you're doing at the time. Same and idea. My point for making that impact is, is we all have an affinity or a talent or a passion or some sort of interest in something that perhaps we could actually use, maybe not to start a nonprofit, but we have these things in our lives that we think about internally or we think about that are of value to us. But there are opportunities if we're finding value out of it, we're, we're actually gaining some sort of therapy or mental health or health and wellness out of it. If it's something that's working for us, perhaps it would work for others and it's something we need to share. Absolutely. And you said something really cool before we got on. I said, please remember that you said that because it was said really well. Is that the difference you find between like going after the bigger title in the job or acquiring things and the big house, the beautiful cars, the stuff, right? And then doing something greater than yourself, say, as a charity you said it's a totally different fulfillment. Absolutely. There's, I mean, there's, well, I have to, well, I, I can't remember what I said 15 seconds ago, but we'll, <laughs> we'll try to get back to it. I have to start rewinding the cassette tape. Now, some folks will know what the cassette tape is. And some folks will I know what it is. Or, yeah. I'm not, I'm not old enough for an eight track, so we don't have to go that far back. But the point of that being a, I was, I was on the cusp of the, the back, the back end cusp of that. And, uh, so, uh, but you know, there's, there's tons of blog posts or blog posts, podcasts, articles that you'll find where there's tons of folks actually writing and researching, researching about the topic of folks finding a purpose. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge wealth of information out there. And I, I, you, we would expect that people continue to talk about it and continue to, to research it, not only just through, you know, white papers and practical applications, but even scientifically and about what searching around and using something you have an affinity for or a passion for or you're close to. Figuring out a way to use that and identify a purpose for yourself. Now, for me, it could have been a couple of different things, but for me, I was looking for something that was also something that we all could find common ground on. 
And that's where I go in and, you know, I spoke to a Kiwanis club and a couple other clubs, a couple other organizations. And I, I can, when I'm going to talk about advocating for cycling programs and strider bike programs and the building of greenways and mountain bike trails and all these different things, you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of folks that are like, well, I, I don't know what value that brings me. I don't know why I'd want to get involved with you on that, that sort of thing. The one common thing that I can say to a group, I can say it to a large group of old white guys like me. I can say it to a very diverse group of young and old and everything. I ask them, I say, do you remember when you learned how to ride a bicycle? And they all, you know, and I may ask them to raise their hand. A lot of times it's around the age of six or seven or something. And, and then the second, and if it's a, a group of 75 Kiwanis members, Kiwanis club members, every one of them will raise their hand. And then I ask them to raise their hand for a second, second thing. I say, how many of you have a fond memory of that experience? And every one of them will raise their hand. And I say that because that's the foot in the door. That's the icebreaker to say, well, you know what? What I am involved with locally on a number of different projects is a, an opportunity to introduce that same feeling you get, that same memory you get when you learned how to ride a bike is to introduce that to, to uh, introduce that to kids, teach them how to ride bikes for example. That memory, that fond memory, too, for many of us that are adults, that memory no, never goes away. In fact, we continue that memory. Right. Yeah, we keep adding to that cycle in our brain, that, that right. ticker tape. Oh, I like that. I get this feeling from right. that. So there was an article that uh, Clay Neely, he's the co-publisher of the Times Herald, wrote a couple of years ago, and he talked about the new trails down at Brown's Mill. He talked about there being such a diversity of young adults, adults in general, even senior adults out there. And actually just going out there and hanging out for a day and seeing them actually just, it's a flow trail, seeing them actually go down the trail. And he identified this thing in his article called We Moments. And it was like, We, we moments. moments. And it was like, okay, okay. what's he, where's he going with this? He said, he said, the woods are filled with these sounds of both children and adults going up and down these hills and the thrill of them screaming, we, like on a roller coaster, as they go down the trail in the, in the, in the enthusiasm and the joy that it brings them. So that is the icebreaker for perhaps a, a group that I use when I'm talking about some of the things I'm involved with. And then I go into perhaps programs and facilities and different reasons we perhaps we should advocate for different things because we're just extending that that moment of joy, that fond moment that you're talking about. All we're doing is basically building on top of that and wanting to encourage more of that. And the residuals are what we talked about a second ago is not only are you having a good time, but you're doing something that perhaps is good for your health. It's going to extend the life, extend the years on the end of your life. And it's also perhaps has an opportunity to bring you a lot of mental wellness for dealing with all the, the daily routine that we deal with, the, you know, the things that cause all, all of us anxieties. And uh, I'll make one other note about that, too. One of the things mountain bike trails were two years ago that there were not many activities that were COVID proof. But I can right. get you on a bicycle yeah. and I can get you out in the woods. And, buddy, I promise you I can get you six feet apart. 
Yeah, I will say it. I am currently the president of Mountain Bike Atlanta. We have 25 different parts across Metro Atlanta that are green spaces like Cocker Mill and Browns Mill. And, you know, those parts during COVID, not only because people were stir crazy and wanted to get out of the house and wanted to get into some outdoor space, but those parts were just overrun with users. That was a good thing, but they were just covered up with users because people basically submitted to the idea that they they could benefit not only from the anxiety that the whole COVID uh, situation was creating, but they finally submitted to the, you know what, maybe it's time to kind of dial back and all these things that were so important to me that were the rat race, the commuting, the all these things that were so important to us for for so long, you know what? It may not be that complicated. Maybe a walk in the woods. It may not be that Riding a bike in the woods. Yeah. Maybe life isn't that exactly. complicated. Exactly. <laughs> and and maybe it is about a little yeah. a little contraption made out of metal and rubber tires, a little, you know, machine that doesn't have a motor. Maybe that in the combination of green space, actually it is that simple. It is that simple. I love that. Chris, so you decide yeah. to start riding again and that turns into you kind of I had I feel like I'm seeing a goat trapped in a <laughs> out my farm in a feed bag. I'm going to have to investigate that when we're done. Anyway, not my goat, not my feed bag. Interesting. Anyway, I digress. So that turned into you, okay, I'm going to go start mountain biking again and right. cycling again. So what made you go? So you could have just done that. You could have just been like, oh, I'm going to go ride today. Oh, I feel good. Oh, this is nice. Oh, I met a few people today. All is well. Why did you decide to kind of take the bull by the horns and like be a proponent, be a advocate, be a starter of things? What is that? So for me, I mean, we both have been involved in cycling club, this the road cycling community for some time. And I, I love that community. I mean, I was president of the Southside Cycling Club for a couple of years. And, and I, you know, I listened a lot yeah. to not only what that those groups actually were interested in, but what also caused them stress of actually that stress for those that are passionate about that particular lifestyle. Also, mm -hmm. now, you know, I came into that with a, a background in mountain biking and sort of had knew or thought I knew all the values of that. And then the last part, which I emphasized a minute ago, is, is I just saw an opportunity to, to get our children in our communities more active with in, in activities and cycling seemed like a, I had those fond mm -hmm. feelings. The so cycling seemed to be one that would be a great mm -hmm. Christmas present to hand to a child to teach him how to ride a bike. Right. So all of that sort of started taking shape as not as a club type function, but more as a, an advocacy type function where we wanted to start, or there was an interest not only by myself, but several other folks of actually creating. And I call it today. Now I may be totally misusing the word, but sort of encouraging a cycling culture in our area is a more of a, a, a culture and a community that embraces cycling for a lot of different reasons, right. but also a, a cycling ecosystem. And by when I say that is, is we're going to start at the grassroots level and we're going to use, we're going to say, okay, let's, let's try, let's figure out a way to get Strider bike, Strider bike PE programs in every Coweta County kindergarten program. Well, we're, we're on the way. We're close to ha halfway having that in every 
school program in the county. Why are we doing that? Let me stop you there. So people who are listening who have no idea what a Strider bike is, we can say what that is. But also, this is kind of creating in my just you talking about it right now is remind this is kind of like a feeder program, isn't it? Like youth football is a feeder program eventually for the high schools. And it seems to me that this is a feeder program to keep cycling prevalent and part of the culture so that we were protecting the land and and con- conserving areas where this 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 non-car, non-motorized activity can benefit so we see it is uh so explain what there is a national program called all kids bike it's a program that local communities and it really requires local schools to partner up with all kids bike and then you use advocacy organizations like bike cowita to be the facilitator of that so and to really advocate for funding to go for that so the three things i think basically and i i see it as planting seeds but planting a strider bike program in a Mm. kindergarten is is one is we're planting the seed of health and wellness in, in, in Coweta. One day it will be somewhere between 12 and 1400 kids a year. So wow, that's, that's amazing. amazing. Now, you know, we talked about the benefits of someone just choosing to ride a bike, mental health and wellness. So we're planting that first seed. The second seed of that is, is it, it does become a sort of an influence on local infrastructure. And from the point of that being is, is if we're, we are churning out Twelve to 1,400 kids a year that are riding bikes, then we need to make sure our streets that those kids perhaps might be using in, in their subdivision. We need to make sure the sidewalks, we need to encourage the development of mountain bike trails and greenways so that those kids can actually operate safely and use it, use the Strider Bike Program as it's about as grassroots as we can get to actually create a place, a a demand on local municipalities to get their act together for our bike and pedestrian facilities, which are sidewalks and streets and stuff. Well, to, to even put it on the agenda of something in planning, right? And Strider bikes, for the record, are, and then as they gain balance, the PE teacher has the ability to stick stick pedals on. They're exactly right. It is a legit program to actually teach them. So when they leave kindergarten, they know how to ride a bike. The second part of that too is, is the schools are embracing them. There are schools all over the country that are embracing this, but our experience in Coweta has been the PE coaches are loving this. This is pumping new energy and new equipment into their programs. So for the first benefit being the, the health and wellness benefits, planning the seed of that. The second one actually being potentially seeing the development of infrastructure on a municipal level. That sounds so far-fetched from just a Strider bike. But what we're doing is, is we're building a culture and those kids become first graders and they become second graders and then they become high schoolers. What happens as part of this system is, is now we have the local Parks and Rec actually offering a bike club that meets twice a month that basically where the Stryer bike kids, if they want to take advantage of the bike club, they can take the next step, get get their parents to buy them a bike, and then they start riding out at one of the parks we have. And then, of course, there is middle and high school cycling, just like football and baseball. There now is the Georgia Cycling Association, which offers competitive cycling to all students. It's not that you don't have to make the team. You just have to be willing to ride the bike. But establishing that sort of culture and sort of basically we see that as a way to influence not only their health, but also influence perhaps some of the choices that are made when transportation planning is done on a local level. 
If you and I go down to the city council and say, we want a new greenway tomorrow, they're going to look at it and say, well, you guys are, you know, I don't know. You guys are passionate about it. I don't think anybody else cares about this. But if we say that 1,200 kindergarten kids a year are coming out of Coweta County schools that are going to want a greenway, it's harder, a little bit harder to say no, as if we were saying, well, we really need some new little league fields and some new football. We need some new artificial turf for the football stadium. It's harder to argue when it's kids that are the ones that are going to benefit from it. So, so we use that. That's sort of a strategy on that. But for me, Bike Coweta and the nonprofit that we formed, Bike Coweta is an advocacy group to advocate for, for things like the Strider Bike Program for infrastructure. We also have used our efforts to not only talk about those items and where they are at and how they are progressing along, but we've also been able to influence something as like reducing the speed through downtown Newton from 35 to 25 miles per hour and making it just safer to step off the curb. So for us, our goals of Bike Coweta as an advocacy organization, yeah, it starts with a bike, but it also starts about public safety. It encompasses all these things that you just don't even think. Yeah, public safety is important to us. We we want it to be a safer place for people to get around. And then the last part of it, which is a is a side part of it, is is if we're wanting to make the community a safer place to navigate, we also want to encourage folks to come and actually cycle in our community and and create economic impact through yeah. cycling tourism. So. Absolutely. But that's sort of the origins of that. And that's where we are today with that. I talk about blessings and I talk about we are so blessed to be at the point we are with the momentum we have going on and the impact we are making on so many of those different niches I just mentioned. And it is back to me and the personal satisfaction that I get out of knowing that we are reaching people and we're just forget about bicycles. We're reaching people for the better or the good. The better good. Like it's better not only for someone's personal mental well-being and health and being more because when you're healthy, generally you're happier and you can be a more productive person in the world, right? It's not all about you, but also like their environment. Like this is bigger than you. This is an impact that can last for generations, right? And you're at the beginning of making this happen. We, uh, during COVID, and I mentioned the mountain bike trails or whatever, but during COVID, we actually successfully kicked off a mountain biking camp for kids six to 12 years old. Now it'll be in its fourth year. Oh my gosh. But That's you know, so cool. you re- again, and I'd like to mention COVID only because we, it's so, it's still kind of fresh on our minds. And you know, when parents of, of young kids were looking for summer camp options in ni- 2019, 2020, there were not a lot of them. No, we had our <laughs> look, we, we said, okay, well, we've got the six foot of, you know, all the requirements of COVID. We got all those taken care of getting kids on bikes and separating them way out in the woods. So we were able to kick off that program and use that as a compliment to the Strider bike program and the mountain bike club and all these other things. But I mentioned that club because those kids were just like all of us. They had a sense of urgency about getting out of the house. A lot of kids, they were not able to go to school. They were not able to do a lot of things they were used to. But what would happen at, on uh, the last day of camp for the mountain bike camp was is all the kids would just be all tore up. And I'd be like, why are you so upset? And, then, and I had more than a handful of kids that were all tore up the last day of, of uh, camp because it says, well, we don't want to go home. 
and for some of these kids, they had never even been on a mountain bike trail. It was an accomplishment just to, they had rode their bike in the driveway and they finished the week. We had six-year-olds, seven-year-olds that would finish the week and they had rode two or three miles on a mountain bike trail in the woods. I don't know if some of them have even ever been out, out in the woods, you know, so. See, that's what you expanded horizons too, which yes. brings me to a very good point. So real quick, give me um, like funding. A lot of people might be sitting there, well, are you paying for all these? But how does this work? How do, how do you get funding to create paths and routes and the Strider bike program? How are you getting money for all this? And do people donate or how does that work? So for Bike Coweta, which is our local advocacy group, it really comes down to our corporate partners. And we've got a good core group of about 15 corporate partners, every company's big companies, small companies, everything in between that have uh, said they support what we're doing. It could be a Don't Noonan me. Utilities or a Piedmont Hospital or some of the, the locals. Now, for my role at Mountain Bike Atlanta, we lean more on grant funding and awards from like foundations and that sort of thing. So you've got different organizations that are going to be more supportive depending on the nature of the program. So for example, Strider Bike Programs, there is companies that are really into doing things just related to youth and youth and health and wellness and that sort of thing. Whereas facilities like greenways and mountain bike trails, a lot of times it's going to be an award or a grant because it's it, it, you need okay. it. So both those two organizations have definitely benefited from a, a good bit of funding in those cases. I will give a shout out or a, a shout out, for example, to Yamaha Manufacturing in uh, Noonan. They've got a, a big plant in uh, Noonan where they manufacture golf carts and four-wheelers and maybe wave runners there. And they uh, they have been one of our partners for the Strider Bike Program. So oh, that's great. for physical bike ped facilities like the Link Greenway or the Green Belt, like over in Carrollton or for a mountain bike trail, a lot of times that's going to be a combination of local advocacy dollars, but also expecting the municipalities to step up and invest in those things the same way they would in like a sports and rec complex. And Right. This is where your marketing background comes into play because you can help you know how to kind of go after and and offer like say well we can show return right. on investment you're investing in this and here we go what has been chris for you like you set out to be and do things to kind of yeah. to fill you up and give you a different sense of purpose other than having all the things that the corporate life would give right. you right so what so where are you at with all that from a purpose point of view yeah and and within yourself so one of the things, and I really, I don't know if I've touched on this, I hate being redundant, but you know, I go back to, I feel as if we are all, and this is why I mentioned, you know, having certain feelings about this at a fairly young age. I feel like we all are blessed with either certain aptitudes or skills or talents or whatever you want to call it, passions for different things. I think we're all born with those things. I think we are divinely born with those things. And I won't go too much into the detail about that, but but people can figure that out, figure out what I'm saying. But what I'm what I'm also saying too is I think that is for some of us, that's what happens is that clock starts ticking and we start saying, Well, you know what? I was blessed with this from an early age and I am not using whatever that blessing is, I'm not using it to the fullest to reach people and to 
I'm not making an impact. If I can sing or if I can play an instrument or if I can work on bicycles or if I know how to raise money or whatever that may be, I feel like a lot of folks end up in a tug of war. Some folks don't, but some folks do where they say, well, you know what? I really feel that way. And I feel like I ought to use that for good somehow, some way. And they struggle with that because they feel like they're wasting it away. And I think that mm -hmm. drives some of that, this second wind type thing where they're saying, not so much a, not so much a midlife crisis. It's not a midlife crisis. Yeah, it's no. We're finding, I've got this much time in front of me, hopefully. How do I make the most of that? Since I've had to put things on hold, I've had to raise the kids, or I've had to do this, or I've had to do that, and I've taken a backseat to all of the obligations, how can I find that? that passion, that thing that is bigger than me. I think a lot of us have an internal yearning to do something, find something to do that's going to make an impact. And I feel, because, yeah, we have milestones and we say, hey, we need to, I need to start doing this or get this done by whatever. But I think that yearning is something that, that we feel. And I think once we find it and once we actually start taking that leap of faith and once we start doing it, not because we're going to get a pat on the back, not because we're going to be celebrated right. for, but because we're fulfilling something that it's, I hate it. I feel like it sounds sappy, but we're fulfilling something that we feel inside to do to make an impact. I feel like that brings a lot of peace. A lot of the anxieties that things that normally we would stress over, we don't stress over them as minute much. I feel like thinking that, well, I would never have enough energy or enough time to do that. Magically, you all of a sudden have a lot of newfound energy. I feel like I was blessed. Now I say this and I tell a couple of different folks, I feel like I'm a sort of like a little mini nuclear power plant. I feel like I was blessed with a lot of, a lot of energy already. And, you know, if I'm sitting in a meeting, my yeah. feet are always moving. Cause I'm like, I'm ready to, ready to move. But yeah. some of us have a lot of energy and it's like energy that, that could be utilized for something and just submitting to that, submit to that is a blessing. But what it does is it actually acts more or less as a therapy for us to address that internal tug of war we have with actually making a difference. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you because you don't want to sound sappy, but it does fill your heart right. and your soul. And that brings us joy, which brings us back to the point that then life doesn't seem complicated. It doesn't seem difficult because... You're able to look at the grand scheme of things. I, I think you you get out of the mundane, monotonous right. crap of of all the the shitstorm coming at us all the time, right? And then you're able to like, yeah, yeah, I'm here for a reason. I got purpose. It's bigger than me. I'm creating joy and happiness, and that's really what the second wind's all about. It's figuring that you can start by by right. volunteering, right? If you don't know what it is that you want to do then pick something that speaks to you and just go volunteer and see where that leads you, Absolutely. would you say? There is a, I don't know if it's a popular cliche, but there is a saying, and I, that we use it, in the, use it in some different organizations, but you know, the cliche of the gift is in the giving. Early on when your kids were waking up too early on Christmas morning and you had prepped everything to introduce to them on Christmas morning. And for me, when they were young, you know, there was always an excitement for me just to see them get what they wanted or open it up. But I say that because I think that comes back to a purpose and causes is when you have been involved in something where you basically more or less were passing on a gift of sorts, 
And then you see the joy and you, it's not like I'm going to run up to them and say, hey, aren't, don't you appreciate the big gift I just gave you? I just spent $300 on this and I was up till two in the morning putting it right. together for you. No, there's a photo that Brent Snodgrass, is, who's in management with Coweta County Parks and Rec, that sent me uh, myself. It's all our backs to the camera, but I'm standing basically at one end of a trail and there's a line of uh, about eight or 10 of our mountain bike campers that are standing right behind me. And we're all looking down this huge easement down towards, uh, it's a, a long view of that. And I, I so much appreciated him documenting that day because when I look at that photo, you've got those kids that are six to eight years old. And you think about that day and think about the joy they got like Christmas morning. And you think of it as that day was a gift to them. And mm -hmm. uh, I look at it and I showed that off at a, at a speaking some time ago. And when I think about it, when I think about what I'm giving back, I tell them, I, I look at that photo and I look at those kids as if they were mine. And that's what, I mean, if that can't get you fired up about the impact that you're making, get you fired up or get you passionate about something. That's a specific example, but there are so many opportunities and it could be music. It could be art. It could be a million other things, but there are so many opportunities where we can make an impact, not only of the, those kids, but we're making an impact on people from three-year-olds to 80-year-olds with that little yeah. thing called a bicycle. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh, 100%. Gosh, thank you so much for your thank time you. and sharing that. I really think that there's a lot said in this about just putting one foot in right. front of the other, right? And just, okay, I'm just going to, I'll just go volunteer here because something about it, right? And then seeing what Absolutely. that does for you. I think that's amazing. And to, for you to bring that full circle and what you've done in the biking community just around me here is amazing. And I am forever grateful because my grandchildren will be on the bike with Winnie here, their grandmother, and we're going to go hit the trails for sure. And I'm really excited about that. And you, you're helping pave the way to create programs for them. So it's just not me showing them, hey, let's go down this trail. It's me adding to what they can also do on their own. And I'm really Absolutely. excited about that. So thank you so much. Do you have any mantra or anything that you say to yourself daily that keeps you going? Like when you really don't want to do something and you're like, Ugh, but you do it anyway. Well, it's, it's for like, it's like so many, so many different things in our lives that are important to us, but that are just hard work. And for this, there's a lot of work that goes involved, but it's, it's just almost feels effortless sometimes, but it's just like that long bike ride where you know, for me, long, a lot of times an early morning, an 8 a.m. bike ride, knowing it's going to be 50 or 60 miles, I, I, you know, I'll lay in bed there for a few minutes and say, I really, really want to do this. Uh, <laughs> well, I really know, want to do I know that. it's I'm going to be long and I know it's going to be hard and I know my muscles are going to hurt, right? Once I get out there, I'm great. I'm fine. But, you know, you just simply have to whatever impact or whatever you're involved with and this has to do with relationships too is as you said just have to keep showing up show up just show up kind of the just do it right for me the there are sometimes if it's an effort mountain bike trails are a great example of this there are times when we'll go out and support or work on mountain bike trails where it needs to be cleaned up for whatever reason and you're you you may be the only one that does show up 
and you'll be in mm-hmm. the middle of the woods working on something and you'll go home that day and, and, and you'll be like, yeah, I put my time in today. But sometimes it's that way. You've got to make a choice. Is this, you got to make a choice to show up when nobody else will. And the only other part of that too really is, is there will be other days when folks show up and they give what they have that day. Now I show up and I work for four hours digging, you know, digging holes or whatever. And so-and-so shows up for the first 30 minutes and they put their time in and then they go, well, I appreciate the 30 minutes. I mean, they could have stayed in bed. So I appreciate every ounce of effort anybody puts out towards the things that are important to me. And I'm not going to say, well, I did four hours and you didn't. I'm going to say, thank you so much for that. Yeah. Without expectations. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. That's how we got to go. That's, that's the name of the game. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been fun talking with you, the man. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, Make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.